tonight, I want to, we've only got a couple of more messages in this kingdom series, and tonight I want to talk to you about, uh, I think, one of the most important issues um, in the kingdom. Uh, there's a currency in God's kingdom. The currency of God's kingdom is trust and sacrifice. That's how God's kingdom operates. The currency of God's kingdom is trust and sacrifice. Contrasted with the world's kingdom, the world's kingdom has a currency that is um, fear and greed. Fear and greed is the currency or fear and selfishness of the world's kingdom, but the currency of God's kingdom is trust and sacrifice. And these two kingdoms are constantly colliding, vying for your loyalty, wanting you to live wholeheartedly for one or the other. And unfortunately, because of the fall where Adam plunged the human race into sin, we are more uh, naturally inclined to the way of the currency of the kingdom of the world. Now, when Jesus Christ comes and ransoms us and sets us free, he breaks all that authority that the world had off of us, and we are new creations, and we are no longer debtors to our flesh. However, we're often trained to learn how to fear. We're trained to learn how to doubt. We're trained to learn how to control things, and faith sometimes thrusts us forward into an arena or a season of life where God calls us to trust him in spite of everything that's going on. And we've heard it said before that a faith that can't be tested shouldn't be trusted. And so when God wants to grow us, one of the things that he will do repeatedly in your life and mine along this faith journey is he will um, allow us to get into circumstances, allow us to go through seasons of life where we are pressed beyond measure, where we're stretched beyond our capacity, where we find ourselves without answers we don't have resources. We don't have a clue about what to do next. And the Lord actually, in love and grace and mercy, allows these seasons to find us. And the full intention, I'm going to simplify it for you. He's not being mean. He's not being discompassionate. He's not being aloof as if he didn't care. He's being intentional in allowing these seasons into our lives because what it's going to do is breed a deeper dependence in our hearts upon him. God wants all of us. We're the fierce, independent Americans. That's the way our culture is kind of wired. But God wants us to live with wholehearted dependence upon him. And the key or the, the, the blessing in this is that the more dependent you live, dependently that you live upon the Lord, the deeper will be your joy. The more lasting will be your peace. Your soul will be filled with a level of calm, calm and purposefulness the more that you find yourself intentionally dependent upon God. But everything in this world comes against you to have you live in fear and distrust and self-focus. And so tonight, I'm going to exhort you with a message called, Don't Be Squeezed. You may not know this, but one of the, uh, the primary word for salvation in the Old Testament, it's the name from which Jesus' name derived. The primary Hebrew word is Yashaw. And do you know the root, the, the bottom line understanding of the word Yashaw is this, to place in a large open area. And the opposite of that is to be squeezed down, to be tightly compacted, to be feeling like the walls are being pressed in. But God wants to save you and set you free in liberty. And in order to do that, we cannot give in to this squeezing element of life. So look with me in Luke 12. I'm going to pick up in verse number 22, and I'm going to give you tonight some alternatives to worry in the kingdom because you were not made to fear, you were not made to worry, and this is part of your calling and your commitment in the kingdom of God. Luke chapter number 12, verse number 22, Jesus is speaking, and he said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, be, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field today, 
and tomorrow it's thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried, for all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions, give to the needy, provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now, we probably know these words from Jesus more and more familiarity out of Matthew chapter 6, but I purposefully chose Luke's, um, uh, not rendition, but Luke's writings concerning this message that Jesus gave. And it's so important for us as we go through um, these verses tonight to keep it in the context of what motivates you, what drives you, how is the currency that you are living your life with, how's it being spent? Are you spending doubt and fear and worry and control? Are you spending freely trust and sacrifice and commitment and patience? Because these are the things that the kingdom is built upon, and all of us are either building up the kingdom with that, or we're not experiencing that beautiful part of the kingdom, and we're living at a level that God does not desire us to live at. So let's look at this this evening, and let's go through the words of Jesus, and we're going to be talking about you and me tonight. Jesus is the center of it, but this is pure exhortation and application because you are a kingdom citizen if you have been bought by the blood of Jesus, if you have received Jesus Christ by faith, if you believed as a sinner in repentance that Jesus Christ's blood on the cross was enough to pay for your sin, and in that moment of decision, you said yes to him, I want you as Lord of my life, forgive me of my sins, save me, oh God, and you accepted Christ, then my friend, you are immediately brought into kingdom citizenship, and that's citizenship carries with it massive amounts of privilege and blessing and grace and honor and inheritance. That's wonderful, but it also carries a great weight of responsibility because we no longer represent ourselves. We're no longer a reflection of our own glory. We are bought with a price. We are not our own, and we all want to live in a way that reflects on our king in a positive manner. So how are we going to do that? We're going to choose not to be squeezed down by the things that make us fear, worry, and dread through this life. So let's get into it. I want to start in verse number 22, and I want to talk about the input to kingdom dwellers. I'm going to be quick with this part because I want to get the thrust of what we're doing tonight down in Jesus's words later on in the passage. But here's his input to kingdom dwellers, and everything he's about to say comes with divine authority. Look in verse 22. The divine authority is given right off the bat. Jesus said to his disciples, I am going to tell you something. Now, you'll notice in verse 22, the word therefore is there, and it reflects back to what he's already told. Let me tell you the context of what he's about to say in this message. He just gave a parable about a very wealthy man, a man that was an astute businessman. He was very successful. He made a lot of money, nothing wrong with any of that, but this man fell in love with his resources. He fell in love with his money to the extent that he said, I am doing so well agriculturally that my current barns aren't enough to hold all of the crops that are coming in. I'm going to tear down my old barns so I can build, uh, build bigger barns so I can keep more of what I'm making. And so this man went about it, and in the parable, God speaks to the man. And the man is saying, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. I'm going to have more wealth. I'm going to retire one day. It's going to be wonderful. And God speaks to the man, and he's very abrupt with the man. He says, you are a fool. He says to that wealthy man that was stockpiling all his resources, you're a fool. What you don't know is that tonight you're going to die. Aren't you glad you came on a Wednesday night to be encouraged? But that's exactly what Jesus said. He said, you're going to die. Excuse me, God said to him in the parable, you're going to die. So on the backwash of that, in that aftermath of Jesus exposing the dreadfulness of covetousness and selfishness, this is where he launches into the heart of the matter. Why do people want to keep? Why do people want to earn? Why do people want to gain? I'm talking about people that are outside of the kingdom. The reason why is because they believe it brings safety. They believe it brings security. They believe that it brings peace. They believe that it brings pleasure. And so they live for what Jesus called in the old King James, unrighteous mammon. 
And what Jesus is about to do is he's about to expose the heart of the matter. And the heart of the matter is people are afraid, so they're grasping for security. They're getting squeezed. And what he's going to do is he's going to say to his disciples, I don't want you to do that. And when I'm commanding you, it's coming with divine authority. That means these are not options that we can consider. These are uh, expectations that come with the assigned authority of Jesus Christ, the Lord, behind it. Look in verse number 22. This is the part that I love. And I'm going to really challenge you to take this liberty he's about to give you with divine permission. At the end of verse 22, this is what Jesus says. I tell you, don't be anxious about life. Don't be anxious specifically about your own life. And then he characterizes it with things that people worried about in the uh, first century, and it was very basic fundamental needs, what you're going to eat and what you're going to wear. Jesus comes with divine authority in a basically impoverished audience, certainly impoverished compared to the way we live today, where people would live hand to mouth, they would grow food and they would eat food, and if they had any meat, they got it that morning, they ate it by sunset because there was no refrigeration, so they're living hand to mouth. They only had one set of clothes to wear, and they didn't wear it for fashion. They wore it, wore, it, wore it for protection. They didn't have nine different things hanging in the closet they could pick from. They typically had one garment, and they had to take care of it, and it couldn't rot. It couldn't uh, fade away. They couldn't get it torn, or it was a potential disaster because they didn't have anything else to wear. And so they live in a naturally uh, uh, just kind of a, a, a society that didn't have anything. And so that breeds fear. There was nothing else to lean on. And Jesus comes into that scene. He says, I'm going to give you permission to stop doing something. Well, what is it, Lord? You don't have to worry anymore. You don't have to live in fear anymore. You were not made to live your life in anxiety. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to liberate you right now by giving you uh, divine permission right here to stop worrying about your life. Now, let's talk about this for a minute. How many of you were raised with one or more parents that were over-the-top warriors? Raise your hand. That's about half of us in here. My mom was a warrior. I mean, she was a big-time warrior. She's still a little bit of a warrior, but she was a big-time warrior. And so I learned to be fearful by the time I was age eight. And, you know, if you go to the mailbox at night, somebody's probably going to kidnap you. If you get in the ocean above your knees, there's going to be a great white just waiting on you out there. You, know, you climb a tree, in five seconds, you will fall. That's the kind of thing that I grew up with. And so I learned it from her. And it took Jesus to get me out of that kind of mindset. But listen, there's a lot of Christians that live that way. And we're fearful. And you know what, what's crazy is we've actually bought into this lie that being anxious, being overly concerned, being worried actually feels responsible. And some of us have done it so long that when we're not worrying about it or we meet somebody that never worries about anything, we're tempted inwardly to wonder if, they, if they're a serious human being. Because if you're a serious human being, you're going to be worrying about some stuff. And yet Jesus comes in and he says, I'm going to give you permission. I don't want you to worry about anything anymore. Now, we all know some commands from God that we're supposed to obey, but how are you doing with that one? I will, I will confess that in the last probably six or seven years of my life, uh, worry has been my number one besetting sin. I, I hate even confessing that. I'm ashamed of that, but I'm not going to lie to you. Some people struggle with this, this, or this, but I can tell you when life got tough and answers weren't coming easy and, and circumstances weren't changing, and if they were changing, they seemed to be getting worse, I wrestled immensely privately with the Lord through some anxiety, through some very difficult things, and I would come to verses like this, and Jesus would say, Jeff, don't worry. And I would say, that's another thing I've got to worry about because I'm not supposed to be worrying. <laughs> so I would worry about my worry. And you know how that stuff compounds. But listen, it's epidemic. Look at what's going on in our culture. We, we've, got, we've got reasons to worry financially. We've got reasons to worry politically. We've got reasons to worry um, with national security and threats of terrorism and all of that. And so you look around or just turn on Fox News or CNN or MSNBC or the Drudge Report or, you know, WSB 750 News. They will give you plenty of worry about. You'll have it by 8 a.m. in the morning. You can worry about it all day and still have some left over because that's our culture. And if we didn't turn on the news, we still got our own inherent worries. And Jesus, the Son of God, the Savior, comes in. He says, hey, I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to back it with my own authority as God the Son. You don't want to be, don't need to be, and will not be any further anxious about your life. And so 
He tells us why in verse number 23. He says, for, or the reason why that you don't need to be anxious about life, what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, is because life is more than that. Life is more than food and the body more than clothing. I want you to say this with me four times. Life is more. Ready? Life is more. That's once, and that was really weak. Number two, life is more. Life is more. Life is more. Friends, you were born the second time through faith in Jesus Christ for the more life. You were not born to remain just slightly better than you were. You were born anew. The Son of God who came to earth to ransom you from your greatest opposition, your greatest devastation, your greatest enemy, which was your own sin, condemnation for it, the enemy himself, the devil, and the eventual outcome of that sin would have been hell. Jesus swoops in in mighty grace and love, rescues you from that, and yet we still have this propensity to make life all about these littler things. We have received the greatest gift from him at our worst possible moment when we deserved it the least while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And in that moment, he came in marvelous grace, gave us what we needed, but on the back end of it, we tend to obsess over the smaller things, things like material provision. Uh, I'm grateful to be an American. I'm grateful to live in the United States of America. I don't think I would want to live anywhere else, as a matter of fact. And if you don't feel that way, why don't you go travel to a third world country and stay a couple of months, and you'll come home pretty grateful, I guarantee you. We are blessed here, but part of the curse of the blessing is that we have become dependent on things that the rest of the world typically lives without. And so we obsess over them as if they are essentials when in all actuality they're not. And so Jesus says, life is more than whatever you're worried about. Now, he's talking very clearly there in context about the basic needs of food and shelter. But if life is not reduced to the basic needs of food and shelter, how much more should he expect us not to obsess over the possibility of losing our little luxuries? He told them, I don't even want you to obsess over the necessities, and yet you and I, we got the necessities taken care of. Listen, I'm being serious. Did anybody go hungry because they couldn't eat today? And if you did, we will buy you some food. I'm not even being funny. We ate today, right? Thank God we've got clothes on tonight. Hallelujah. We've got a place to sleep. If you don't have a place to sleep, listen, we would be concerned about that. We would, we would want to take opportunity to help you. So we've got food, we've got clothing, we've got shelter, and yet a lot of us also have worry. Jesus said, that's, that's not the way I want you to live. I didn't come to do for you what I did for you so you could live in fear. So let's go further. That's the input. Here's the uplift for kingdom dwellers. This is where Jesus comes in and he reasons with us spiritually. He's gonna tell me further why I shouldn't live seasons of life in anxiety, fear, or worry. The first one is this, I'll just make it personal. Jeff, you are loved. You are loved. What does he say? Jesus says, consider, hey, check out the birds. I can picture him there where he is teaching and perhaps a a group of birds, a flock of birds fly by. Jesus didn't always, he wasn't necessarily expository. He did give the scriptures, but he would use just normal everyday life lessons. He'd see something, he'd speak on it. They lived in an agrarian society, so a lot of his illustrations dealt with planting and harvesting and animals and just most simple, basic things. And he says, I want you to look at the birds, look at the ravens. He says, they don't plant a field. They don't go out and plant, they don't go out and water, and they don't break their backs during harvest time. They don't sow, they don't reap, they don't have storehouses, nor do they have barns. And he says, but you know, God takes care of them. God makes sure they are fed. And then Jesus says this, of how much more value are you than the birds? Now, friends, listen, this is important to me because I think we get so used to the verses of the Bible that we, we kind of divorce them from their original impact. And I just want you to know that this is what the Lord is saying. The Lord is saying that the sovereign God of heaven, omniscient, omnipresent, Lord over all, he is involved in the taking care of individual birds. Now, I don't know if that fits in your framework of theology. If it doesn't, take it up with Jesus because he's the one that's doing the doing the preaching here. I'm just the second-hand messenger. Jesus says, your father in heaven is taking care of the birds. 
Now listen, I, I don't have anything against birds, but they don't have any eternal value other than that they bring God glory. The, the, you know, I don't, I don't think we have any small children here. Birds aren't going to be in heaven more than likely. Um, they're, they're animals that don't have a soul. They, they don't have an eternal spirit life. And so they're here for a time being. They're meant to bring God glory. Occasionally they bring me some fried chicken and things like that. And they, you know, I mean, they're, they're there for us, but they don't have any lasting value. And, and, and yet God, Jesus is teaching that God the Father is concerned enough about them that when they are fed, it's because he wanted it to be so. And then he comes in and he's assuming that we will recognize the wisdom of what he's teaching. And he says, I want you to know that God values you more than he values those birds. Have, have you ever seen a bird really just wringing its little hands and worried? I, I don't know where we're going to eat. I don't know. Are there any worms down there? Is there any seed? I just, I don't know how we're going to make it. Uh, you know, the blue jays are getting all this stuff over there and the cardinals down the street are taken care of, but we're sparrows and we're never going to, you don't ever, I know that's a little silly. It's a little ridiculous, but the, the, the point is, is they just wake up and they live their life and they eat. Have you ever been in such a tough time in life where you look at one of your pets at the house and you're envious of the pet? Your cat's stretched out on the floor and, you know, you're all tense and you're working and you're late for work and somebody's getting on your nerve and your cat's just over there in the sun looking at you. Come over here and pet me. That's what cats do. Uh, dogs the same way. Dogs happy with a toilet and a tennis ball. That's, that's all you got to do. Well, listen, those animals don't have lasting value, but you do. And the Lord is committed to you and he wants you to know, I value you more, infinitely more than these birds, and yet I take care of the birds too. Well, you're loved, but you're also limited. I'm going to let you off the hook here a little bit. This is something that proud people need to go ahead and grasp. You're limited, verse number 25. Which one of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? If then you're not able to do a small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Um, Bible translation I grew up on uh, made this more personal for me. It always seemed to indicate adding a cubit to his stature. That meant 18 inches to his height. I really do believe this is the better translation because even a short guy like me doesn't want to be 18 inches taller. I think Jesus was actually saying, hey, how's that worrying going for you? Is it going to add even one hour to your life? I can tell you this, worry might take an hour off your life, but it's not going to add an hour to your life. And yet we obsess over things, even like death. Friends, I mean, th th these are self-evident topics, but let me just go ahead and encourage you with something. We all had a predetermined birth date. God determined when, where, and how we would enter this world. And it was a good idea because he never has any bad ideas. Your entrance into the world was sovereignly superintended and decreed by God. When you entered this world was God's timing. And I'm just going to go ahead and say this, and I know this may make some uncomfortable. Uh, you've got a date with dust. You've got an exit date. You've got an expiration date. And you can worry and you can live in such a way that you're just trying to squeak out a little bit more time. But I'm going to tell you, we need to be responsible with life. We ought to be healthy with life. We don't need to be reckless with life. But I'm going to tell you something. When it's your time to go, you gone. You will be flying in the, ever, uh, the everlasting arms of Jesus Christ. And so worrying over death is one of the silliest things. Now, look, I'm not worrying over being dead. I don't necessarily look forward to the process of dying. But one of these days, if Jesus doesn't return first, we're all going to go that way. And yet we live in a death-obsessed culture. We, we live in a culture that is just trying to squeeze out everything to live a little longer or to look a little younger. And, and it's just silly how we try to get, we allow ourselves to get squeezed down into it. And in the squeezing down of worry, we actually lose the meaningfulness of life, which is to enjoy God for all that he is and bring him glory in all that we do. And yet we get so obsessed and we doubt and we fear and we worry and we're trying to control things and make things happen. Now, look, I'm preaching to you because I know you struggle with it in areas like I struggle with it in areas. Hopefully, we're further along than we used to be, but I want you to go ahead and just exhale because this is what Jesus is teaching. You are limited. You, you can't handle everything. You can't manage everything. You can't avoid everything. 
You can't make everything happen. You are actually limited. Now listen, he's made us, he's empowered us, he's given us great resources through the Holy Spirit and his gifts and God says he'll provide for us and he calls us into an everlasting kingdom and he will protect us and provide for us. I got all of that. But ultimately, a lot of us are living as if God got it started and then walked away and now everything else is on us. That's no way to live. And if you, to the degree that you feel like you've got to make things happen or prevent other things from happening, you're going to be losing that zest and zeal and that joy for life. One of the greatest days in my life, it happened, I don't know, probably, probably only about 10 years ago, where I finally recognized that life is bigger than me. That's one of my favorite statements. Life is bigger than me. I used to think I could handle it. I used to think I could handle anything that came my way. I was a big Philippians 4.13 guy, and I totally misinterpreted that verse. And I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I was living by this phrase, I can do all things, and forgetting the context. I can do all things, I can do all things, I can do all things. And God says, Jeff, you've got to learn the rest of that verse. You can do all things, but the context is in my son. And in order to do all things in the Son of God, you will have to come to the end of yourself first. And so many of us wrestle against that coming to the end of ourselves because we, we, we actually think we can manage things at times better than God. Now, we never say that, but we, we sometimes live that. So you're loved. You're better than the birds. You're limited. He says, you're not able to do a small thing as adding one hour to your life. Why are you worrying about the other stuff? And then he says this, you're liberated. He says, consider the lilies. Look how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? Um, when he's referencing there the toiling and the spinning, when always interpreted that verse as spinning, like dancing around and pirouettes and things like that. It's actually an illustrate or a, a term that is talking about weaving and spinning on a loom and putting together and sewing and that, and that kind of fabric kind of mentality. And he's talking about clothing. And, and he's saying, he's saying, I want you to look at the hills up there. Look how beautifully the father has arrayed them and the beautiful wildflowers that are covering the hillside. Now, now, the hills and the flowers, they didn't get together and weave and toil and make all of that happen. All they did was yield to the sovereign work of the beautiful creation. That's, that's what they did. The sovereign work of the creator beautified them. And he's saying, but you're fretting over clothes. You're worried about how you're going to be covered. You're worried about, and again, these were the issues of their day. The issues of their day were, how am I going to have enough to eat? How will I make sure I am clothed or my family is clothed? And Jesus is going right to the core of their fears. Let me give you something just pastorally here. You're going to be very strong in faith in certain areas. There's certain areas, and you'll even encounter people that are going to be less strong, they may even struggle in these areas where it doesn't touch you, it doesn't phase you. You're like, that's just not an area where I struggle with the Lord on. So where you're strong in those areas, amen, hallelujah, give God the glory. But chances are there's one or two places in your life that you won't go there. Um, I am strong in the faith in many areas, but I often uh, have this haunting thought, and I want to be delicate here, what would I do if X, Y, or Z happened to my children? And all of a sudden, I don't feel as robust. I don't feel as strong. It, it, it messes with me in an area where I, I, I struggle at times. Uh, most of you won't know this, but uh, we almost lost Landon at birth. He had unexplained seizures. I look back on it now, I think it was straight up a satanic attack. But he had unexplained seizures for about six weeks when he was three months old, and it was a very difficult time. At four years old, we found out that he had... Um, an allergic, anaphylactic kind of shock. He got bit by three ants and was about two minutes away from dying before we got him to the doctor. And so we, Amy and I both have this natural just kind of overseeing of our son, just wanting him to be careful. He gets older, it gets a little easier. However, I, I, I struggle in that area. I don't know where your area is, but what is Jesus saying? Jesus would say to me, Jeff, life is more than Landon. Life is more than that most precious thing to you. Because as much as I adore my children and I love my wife, let's be realistic here. 
Those relationships, as they are down here, are temporary. We lose people through death. We lose people through transition. Those things happen. And so that cannot be the most precious part of my life. The life that Jesus has called us into incorporates those lovely things like relationships and blessings and even the material things, but Jesus always wants our focus to be on him as king and the glory of his everlasting kingdom. And so it tests our faith. And sometimes we have to just get very honest with the Lord and say like another man said in the ancient times, Lord, I do believe. Dustin shared that with us on Sunday. Lord, help my unbelief. You're limited, but you're liberated also. Jesus says, <laughs> it's sad that we're at a place, you know, in life where if Jesus wants us to t- learn deep spiritual kingdom mysteries, he uses birds and flowers. Birds and flowers that in their, in their essence seem to yield more easily to God than we do. And yet we're the ones that have a covenant relationship with God. We're the ones who are the recipients of all his promises, but we do not have the ability to abide like these seemingly these lilies and these ravens do. So let's get down to the last few verses and we'll wrap it up tonight. If Jesus is telling us that we don't have to live squeezed, that he doesn't want us to live in fear and anxiety and worry, which are epidemic, they're epidemic, they're almost pandemic in our generation. If he's telling us that the root of our fear is in essence a mistrust of God, I didn't cover that verse, but in verse 28, he exposes it. He says, the problem is that you only have a little faith. He didn't say they didn't have any faith. He acknowledges they have faith, but he says, your faith is too small. Your faith has not grown to where it needs to be. Why are you so fearful? You don't have to be fearful. The problem is, is that you don't have enough faith. So, Here's something I'll just ask you. I'll get to the verses in a moment. How does our faith grow? What produces faith? Now, obviously, we have the sovereign work of the Holy Spirit. Faith is mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12 as one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I'm thankful for that. But friends, we also need to recognize that we may have been granted sovereignly the muscle of faith, but God wants us to exercise that muscle. He wants us to grow that muscle. He wants that muscle to be stretched, and it's just like the physical muscle. If you've ever been a gym rat, and I was back in the 80s, not so much anymore, but going to the gym, the the whole process of getting bulked and getting toned and getting firm is that when you're lifting weights, you're actually ripping and tearing your muscles. You're tearing them, you're breaking them down, and when they self-repair, God designed your body that those muscles will, will build themselves back, and when they do, they're stronger. And you're working off body fat and all of that, but in the muscular structure, you tear down a muscle and it is built back up. And it's the same way with faith. God has to stretch our faith. He has to put us in places where we're we're, we're being faced with weights that we can't carry on our own. And it's through the exertion and it's through the pressing against and it's through the pressing in and sometimes God spotting us. He gets under it and he taps it just enough. And with us, when we're learning, we can press some things. We can move some things. I always like to go to the gym, and there's always one Yahoo in there who's pretty impressed with himself. And I've seen it both on the big end and on the little end. The big guys, I'm impressed with you too. If you want to bench 450 pounds and you can do it, amen, praise the Lord. But I like watching the like real skinny guy who's got, you know, 245-pound weights on it, and he's, he's all bulked up and everything. He's ready to go. And he gets down there, and he's, and I'm thinking my 10-year-old could lift that, man. Come on, you're not as strong as you think you are. You're exerting, you're posing, you're doing all of these things, but my 10-year-old can lift what you're lifting. Well, a lot of us, listen, I'm going to risk a critical moment. A lot of us have been walking with Jesus a long time. We've been in the spiritual gym a long time, but we ain't lifting any more than a novice could lift. Because we've lived in fear, we've lived in doubt, we've lived in anxiety, or we know how to go through the motions and make all the noises and and do the right reps and everything, but we're not letting God add weight on. We're not letting him stretch us. You know what he's doing to the two assemblies, Cornerstone and Meadow, as we're coming together? And some people, I'll just say it, and I'm not being critical. God, God has the right to bless them in other places. Some people couldn't handle the weight. They couldn't handle the stretching. They could not handle the fact that God was calling them to try out a new piece of machinery in the kingdom gym. No, Lord, all I do is I do the Baptist best, uh, bench press. That's what I do, Lord. I've been doing that my whole life. That's the only motions I know how to do. And God says, I want to bring you over here to the butterfly machine. 
Now, the butterfly machine stretches me out a little bit, Lord. I don't think I want to do that. And so a lot of people can't be stretched. Friends, if we're ever going to grow, faith must be stretched. We must meet resistance. We have to go places we've never gone before. We have to be able to say to the Lord, Lord, you don't want to leave me in the shape I was in spiritually last year. That was good shape, but it's not good enough for next year. And so the Lord wants an outflow from our lives. And what Jesus is about to teach here will stretch anybody's faith, especially a 21st century Western American who's living in a little K kingdom, whose currency is fear or doubt. And he's calling us to leave that little K kingdom and move into a big K kingdom where the currency is trust and sacrifice. This is how Jesus expects us to live. Now, be careful with the particulars. I'm not telling you that what is about to be said in every particular instance is God's will for your life. But if you can get the spirit of what's being said here, you're gonna find room to be stretched, I promise you. So let's look at it. Here's the outflow from kingdom dwellers. He gives a command to obey. It always starts with a command. God will get you like a drill sergeant sometimes. And it says, here's the command from Jesus. Do not seek, don't live for. Life is more than what you are to eat and what you are to drink. And watch this, don't be worried. It's a command. Is that not frustrating at times? Y'all are all so super spiritual. We never struggle with this preacher. You liars, come on. He says, don't be worried for all the nations of the world seek after these things and your father knows that you need them. I love that. A couple of things here. He says, I don't want you to seek. That implies I don't want you to have as your primary focus your material needs. That's that's the bottom line. Boil it down to take it to brass tacks. The bottom line of what Jesus is saying is stop seeking after material things for your comfort and your security. He says, don't do that anymore. And then he adds this at the end. He says, your heavenly father already knows you need them. Have you ever tried to give God information he didn't have? Lord, you may not know this, but uh, I've got to pay my electricity bill. Lord, I got a car payment coming up. Uh, Father, I don't have enough money for tuition for my kids or so on and so on. I have done that before. We pray, and of course, we never say it like that because we know that's heretical, but we act like that and we worry like that as if God doesn't know what's going on. But look what he sandwiches in the middle. This is a little bit of an indictment. He says, yeah, stop worrying. He says, don't be worried because that's what the pagans do. That's exactly what he says. He says, all the non-covenant nations, that's how they live. The people who don't have a relationship with me, they're the ones that ought to be worried, but not my kids. I I, I think about that a lot. Um, Parents and grandparents, what would you do if you, let's just say you've got an eight-year-old grandchild or an eight-year-old child, and say you walk in the door and you see that child just knotted up, worrying, struggling, toiling, crying, I mean, weeping, just really, really living in anxiety, and you kneel down and you say, child, what is wrong? And the child says, I just don't know how I'm going to make it through the day. I don't, I don't know. Are we going to be living here tomorrow? Are we going to be able to eat? And, and we, we would see that measure of anxiety. And our first response would be this. Hey, 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 grandpa's here. Mommy's here. Daddy's here. Child, you don't have to worry about any of that. I'm going to take care of you. What, what, why are you worried? Don't you know that I've always taken care of you? We would easily register the inequity of that in in one of our children or grandchildren. And yet we do the same thing at times with God. We, 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 in essence, we're saying, I don't know if I can trust you with, and you fill in the blank. And friends, listen, I don't think that Jesus is here indicting people in the sense of shaming them or scolding them. I think he's teaching them And part of the teaching is he's exposing what's wrong with us, but he's not doing it to leave us there. He's saying, hey, there's a better way. You don't have to live like that. I I do want to say this. Just, I'm going to preach it to me and maybe it'll bounce off and land if it needs to land on you. But he, he didn't say, hey, Jeff, try harder not to worry. Do a little better at this worrying thing. That's not what he said. This is how I hear him. Maybe you hear him in a different way, but I I hear him. He's smiling when he says it, but I hear him say, hey, Jeff, with the worrying and stuff, stop. Quit it. 
knock it off. Say, Lord, I'm going to do a little better. He's, no, you're, you're not doing better. It's all or nothing. Either I'm going to handle it all or you're going to worry about it all. But no more worry, Jeff. Friends, that, that is an awesome liberating thing. So the thing you've been worrying over and you think it's, well, I just want to show God how sincere I am and how seriously I'm taking this situation and everything, and I'm going to prove to you how serious all of this is because I'm going to worry. I'm going I'm to really worry. And, and I'm going to prove to you, Lord, I'm going to be, I'm, matter of fact, I'm not going to sleep tonight. I'm not going to sleep tomorrow. I'm going to be up all night worrying just so you'll know that I'm taking this thing seriously. Um, he actually says, why would you do any of that? It doesn't mean we don't have responsibilities, but it does mean one thing, we don't have sovereignty. We don't. Ultimately, friends, he has to deliver. There's a purpose to cherish. He says, your father knows that you need these things. Verse number 31, a purpose to cherish. He says, instead, seek his kingdom. I like in Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and these things will be added to you. Now, this is where you get a chance to believe your Bible or not. Jesus says, I don't want you worrying over all the horizontal stuff. I don't want you worrying primarily about material things. That really is the context, worrying about stuff. Will I have enough? Will I make it? Am I going under? Am I going to eat? Am I going to be clothed? Am I going to be sheltered? He says, I don't want you worrying about that because when you worry over that stuff, you give it your full attention. And Jesus says, here's the the beautiful alternative. Instead of obsessing over that, obsess over the kingdom. Instead of giving the best of your energy, your time, your focus, your abilities to worrying over stuff that's destined to perish anyway, because we're not taking any of it with us, he says, instead of that, just seek first the kingdom of God. Go after the kingdom. Live in the currency of the kingdom, which is trust and sacrifice. Trust God vertically and sacrifice horizontally. That's what he's about to say. Jesus is actually about to give us a revolutionary teaching that the vast majority of Christians do not embrace. And I am not going to contextualize it to where it loses its bite. This is intense. And we each have a calling. This part of the message, this part of the series is our callings in the kingdom. This is a calling in the kingdom. God calls us to go to a radical commitment of our horizontal resources for vertical purposes. In other words, all that we have, all that we are, God says, I give it to you, not so you can hoard it, keep it, hold on to it, and obsess over it, but so that it will pass to your hand and then through your hand into my purposes in my kingdom. So let's see what that looks like here. He gets very specific with those that are gathered, and it's not going to sound overly uh, familiar to most of us, but he says in verse 32, a promise to treasure. Watch this. Fear not. So he's, he's, he's already exposed our anxiety, our worry, and our fear. They're all third cousins. I mean, fear not, little flock. That little term of endearment. He, we're precious to God. Fear not, little flock. It's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. The Greek verb structure there, to give you the kingdom, indicates that he's already done it. It might very well be said, it has been the Father's pleasure in giving you the kingdom. That you already have the kingdom. We are joint heirs with Jesus. We're not paupers. We're not orphans. We're not beggars. We're not to look to spiritual Egypt to bring us security. That we're citizens of an everlasting kingdom. And so that frees us up from this propensity to worry that we either have to produce everything ourselves or we have to be strategic to find horizontal resources to bring us security inwardly. So Jesus says, look, I want to point you again. I'm telling you to seek the kingdom of God and God's righteousness as the motivating factor in your life. And all these things you've been obsessing over, they'll be yours. Do we believe our Bible? What is Jesus teaching? Jesus is saying, when you construct your life intentionally in honor and reverence and awe of God, in submission to him, following him in joyful obedience, when the kingdom, his kingdom, is the pulse of your heart, then you will not have to worry about having your needs met. That's what Jesus Christ said. And so this is what I can tell you with all confidence. 
that if you will prioritize God's kingdom, you will experience the full benefits of that kingdom in your life. And it's not a blank check for you to fulfill every carnal desire because if you're seeking God's kingdom first, you won't be living by carnal desires. So you don't have to worry about being so, oh, no, Jeff, if I believe this, I'll turn selfish. No, you won't. Not if you're seeking God's kingdom. The exact opposite thing will happen. But look at that. He says, you're my little lambs. You're my little ones. You'll find in the Old Testament, there are occasions where even ungodly kings of Israel and other lands will look at somebody in their uh, court, maybe it's family, maybe it's just somebody they want to favor, and they make statements like this. Ask what you want unto the half of the kingdom. Ask, it's multiple times in the Old Testament. Ask what you want, I'll give you up to half of the kingdom. God says this, I've already given you the whole thing, and you're obsessing over this little thing, and this little thing, and this little thing. I've given you the whole beach, and you're, you're falling apart because the waves took down your tiny little sandcastle. And so what do we do about this? How do we overcome this squeezing of material, temporary, horizontal, tangible crutches that we lean on? Look in verse number 33. A change to embrace. Watch this. I don't know where you're going to go with it. Sell your possessions. Give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. Let me give you the most un-American theological interpretation that you will hear this week. Verse 33 says this. Look at your possessions as the means through which God will advance his kingdom through you. To the extent that it is not beyond the pale for God to call some to get rid of everything that they have and enter into mercy ministries so that the kingdom can be advanced among the impoverished, among the hungry, among the homeless and destitute. That Jesus was so radical that his antidote to worry for some in the audience that day was this. Hey, all that stuff you're worrying about losing, why don't you just give it away and you'll never have to worry about losing it? Why don't you live with a sacrificial life, which is the currency of God's kingdom, and then you will never have to worry about losing stuff. I don't mind stuff, friends. Amy and I are blessed with a nice house. Uh, I have a motorcycle. I got some decent clothes. I am not preaching that if you have nice things, you're a horrible Christian. That's not what I'm saying. But just make sure, forgive the cliche, just make sure you own your stuff and your stuff doesn't own you. And the only way you'll be able to know that is by giving it away as often as you can. And if you can't give it away, if you literally fear giving it away, you need this message. Because those things have now been elevated to a place where they are having an inappropriate position in your life. There's not a one of us in the room, more than likely, that couldn't afford to downsize on some level and take whatever that upsize was once we downsize and give the balance into something in the kingdom. We could all do it, but we have to be intentional about it. We have to decide that we're actually going to take Jesus at a practical level of what he's teaching instead of leaving it up there in the clouds where we never have to do anything about it. And I, I'll tell you this, and this is not bragging. This is, this is just, I, I can only give my testimony. I can't give yours. There are people in the room, and I know that they live sacrificially, but I'm not allowed to give their testimony. I'll give you mine. I made up my mind years ago that I would give away as much of my income as I could to the extent that I have frustrated financial planners when I've sat down and they've told me what I need to do in order to be able to retire at 75 and live the lifestyle that apparently we're entitled to live. And, and I said, no, I'm not going to do that because I'd have to cut back on my kingdom giving. No, I'm not going to do that because I, I couldn't give to this missionary over here. No, I'm not going to do that. Well, Jeff, if you just put this aside, da, 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 da. And it's always put it aside now for you. And then when you're later, you give it to the kingdom. But let me tell you the faulty thinking in that. What if the later never comes? 
What if the later never gets here? What if we're stockpiling? What if we're building up these massive barns like Jesus told in the parable? We're building up these massive barns and boom, Jesus looked at that guy in the parable and God said to him, you fool, you've done foolishly. What you're doing is foolish because you're going to die tonight. I love my kids, but I don't want them having everything I have. I want to have the fun of sowing it into the kingdom while I'm still alive. You know, I want my son to go out and work and make a lot of money and pour it into the kingdom. I want my daughter to do the same thing or at least marry a guy that's doing that. I, that's what I want. But I don't want to leave all my money and let them invest it, maybe in the kingdom, maybe not. I want to invest my stuff while it's in the power of my hand. One of the Proverbs says this, withhold not good from them unto whom it is due when it is in the power of your hand to give it. Come on. Oh, man, I'm preaching to me. I'm the only one enjoying this tonight. But uh, what, what am I trying to say is this. You can either hold it, grasp it, cling to it, guard it, and keep it and worry over it, or you can take a proactive position of trust and faith and say, everything I've got really doesn't belong to me anyway. So, Father, give me wisdom about how to release more of what you've given me, releasing more, releasing more. And I'm going to tell you something. When you do that, your faith will grow, but your worry will shrink. I promise you, some, it may only hit two or three in the room tonight. I pray it hits two or three. That two or three people in here might get radical with their stuff. And then I'm, I'm done. I'm out of time. Verse 34 just gives you a truth to believe. And this, this is perfect for us to go home and think about. Jesus just lays that radical thought on them in verse 33. And then in verse 34, he just says, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Jesus just got into our wallets. He just got into our 401k or our savings or our portfolio. And he just said, hey, look, money is really ultimately just a diagnostic of the heart. And if you're worried regularly about horizontal stuff, some of us don't worry about money, but we worry about whatever else is on the list. The ultimate thing is this. Jesus is saying, I didn't save you to squeeze you down into a life of worry. I saved you. Yasha, the Hebrew word, the word from which we get Yeshua, from which Joshua comes from, from which Jesus comes from, that literally his name is in indicative of him bringing us into a large, liberated place of freedom. That's what salvation is. So don't get squeezed. Don't let worry dominate you. It has no authority over you. You have the call of God to wake up tonight, and if it's just a matter of you saying, here comes that intrusive, worrisome thought, and you just saying, stop. Stop right there. I choose not to worry about it. You have that authority. Friends, if these are days where we must make up our mind. Little K or big K? Big K is easy to talk about, fun to sing about, love to come in here and celebrate it for about two hours a week. We have to live it. And the way that we live it, is through the currency of trust and sacrifice for the glory of God.